Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, it's good to fellowship with one another, isn't it? It's good to just, yeah, see new faces. For those of you who don't know, my name's Pastor Daniel. Typically, I'm the, our worship pastor, but I get to the, the privilege of speaking with us today uh, as well. So, uh, double duty. <laughs> um, today is, um, we're going to be focusing on missions, on the mission of the church, the mission that God has given to all of his people. And we do that in a special way here once a year at Emmaus Road in a Sunday we call Faith Promise Sunday. The purpose of this is just to remind ourselves of what it is that God's doing in and around the world and also on our front doorsteps. And it's also an effort that we make intentionally to lean into this call by pledging to give, to give to missions in a specific way. So we'll hear all the details about how that uh, comes together. As we begin, we're gonna be in Romans chapter 10. So I'd invite you, you can turn there in the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you or on your device. It'll also be on the screens here. So we'll be in Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna start in verse nine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then how can they call on the name, on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Heavenly Father, as we continue this morning and as we reflect on this scripture and as we, Lord, remind ourselves of, Lord, just still the urgent need for so many to hear the good news of Jesus. And Lord, the opportunities that, are, that abound for bringing good news around the world, we just pray that you would open our hearts and speak directly to us, Lord. You would inspire us, encourage us, Lord, and you would call us higher. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this uh, book, in Romans, Paul is writing to an early budding movement of Christ followers who lived in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles. So these are both Jews who have heard all along that the Messiah is coming and they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. There were many. But these are also Gentiles who have heard this good news and have recognized that they had a need, they had a hole in their heart or a space in their life that only God could fill. And they've turned to Christ. Paul's articulating that freedom from sin and death through salvation in Christ is good news, not just for the Jews, but for all mankind, for all people. And that's good for us, because most of us are not culturally Jews, are we? 
not just good news for the Gentiles experiencing freedom from bondage over spiritual pagan practice, but for the Jews as well who were experiencing freedom from law observance, which seldom reached the heart. As we read in verses nine and 10, both the Jews and Gentiles in Rome were very accustomed to ritual, religious ritual. The Jews tended to approach God through strict law observance, while the Gentiles were prone to kind of mix pagan practice back into this message of Christ. And, you know, they were doing their best, but somehow, you know, it just wasn't hitting the mark. Both groups were striving to bridge that gap between their heart and then their bodies and their minds, what they were doing, and yet it was um, just not working. So Paul is reminding those that he's writing to, and he's reminding us today that no striving is necessary, that new life, new freedom from bondage of sin and death is found in two things, belief and confession. Now certainly there were behaviors that run contrary to God's design for humanity. We see these behaviors that are listed out in the law that was given through Moses. Thou shalt not kill, steal, etc. But over and over, Jesus taught something kind of something else, something above and beyond. Yeah, don't kill. <laughs> you know, follow the law. But it's possible. Jesus was teaching it was f- fully possible to do all the right things, to check the right boxes, and yet still carry sin in your heart through hatred or bitterness or malice or um, bigotry. The futile striving is what God is desiring to heal in those that call upon his name. And the miracle of faith is becoming clear that God is providing healing to a life burdened by sin, not by fixing behavior, but by restoring the heart. We've all experienced this, haven't we? That behavior change can only accomplish so much. Like, you know, the new New Year resolution, whatever it is, that new habit you're trying to form, You know, as long as it's just behavior manipulation, it can only go so far. But once something touches our heart, our heart can really drive change. Our heart can motivate us in a way that just making a a choice can't. This is God's message for his people, that not just the Jews, not just Gentiles, and not just the believers in Rome during the first century But this is the good news that's available for all mankind, in all nations, and on all times. Verse 13 says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is the miracle of faith that's for all of us. I'd like to focus in on verses 14 and 15 because this is really kind of the crux of the matter because we have a great message and then there's all these people who need to hear it, but there's a disconnect, isn't there? And God lays out a beautiful plan of how he intends to make this happen, how he intends for the the gap to be bridged. It says, how then can they call on the one that, that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So we see four steps here that Paul's outlining. First, belief is only possible when our heart and our mind are presented the truth of our sinful condition. The belief in God's ability to bring restoration to that condition through Jesus. 
And then secondly, this only comes through the hearing of the story. Someone needs to bring it to us. Now that can happen in many ways. That can happen through scripture. Now we're benefited by having the scriptures, but in the first century, you know, there was the Torah, the Old Testament, but really only the Jews had access to that. So really it came by someone bringing the message face to face, telling stories the way we are. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit interprets that message for us, doesn't he? You know, when we're in the scripture or when we're hearing something, it's the Holy Spirit who touches our hearts and makes it open for the message. Third, we can only hear this good news if it is communicated to us through messengers. Messengers like the written word we just spoke about through media, these days through media, through those who would speak it. And finally, the delivery can only take place if God's people are willing to pursue his call and to step into the unknown. In other words, at some point it takes you or me to actually say I'd be willing to do that in some way. Let's watch this video. Before we could start teaching, we had to prepare Bible lessons. Our tribal language helper, who was not a believer at that time, was the key to getting the proper Bible terminology we needed. Even before we started to teach, the Mok seemed to sense a wonderful message was coming. When the teaching finally started, the entire village of 310 people gathered. Starting with God, we explained what He is like, His attributes. From there, we taught them about creation and Adam and Eve and man's choice to sin. We explained how God promised a Savior who would someday come to deliver us from sin. Often we used drama to help them understand what we were teaching. When we told how God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it presented a dilemma. Abraham was obviously a godly man, so he would obey God. But it was through Isaac that the Savior of the world was promised to come. I knew that somehow Abraham would obey, but God must save Isaac's life. Before we finish the story, four different men individually suggested that Abraham would obey God but God would somehow intervene and save Isaac's life by providing a substitute lamb. For two months, we taught key Old Testament stories chronologically before we finally introduced Jesus Christ as the Savior, born as a babe in this world. As we studied the life of Christ, they fell in love with Him and Jesus became the Moke hero. They loved Him and they idolized Him. Never during the weeks Mark taught did a villager miss a lesson, though he taught for three months, Monday through Friday, two times a day. Villagers that were sick were brought on makeshift stretchers. And when an expectant mother was near delivery, they arranged for her to be close enough to the meeting to hear the story. The baby arrived in the middle of one of the sessions, but the teaching still went on. At times, the moke were so intense, they stopped eating and would not even sleep. They spent every waking moment discussing the message and re-listening over and over again to the lessons recorded on cassette tapes. This wonderful Jesus was perfect, and He could do anything. He was God. <laughs> 
day finally came to explain the betrayal by Judas and the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Judas' betrayal was upsetting to the most, but they still had faith that somehow Jesus would escape. That was the last story we told them before the gospel presentation. At the end of it, we said, Tomorrow we will finish our talk. The next morning, the people were all gathered before sunrise. I told the story of Jesus appearing before Pilate. The people were very sober. When during our skit they saw Jesus being spit upon, beaten, and finally put to death, they were simply appalled. They were distraught. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them, very powerful. The Savior was alive. I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin, that he died in my place. He is my sin bearer. I lived in fear trying to please the spirits, for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God in his grace has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it and God has forgiven me. Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. and Gloria, as a church, we are standing behind you. We'll pray for you. We'll support you. Go in the Lord's name. Isn't that pretty cool? Um, 
actually, you know, that was a dramatization, obviously, uh, but those were the Mook people, and that was um, Mark Zook, who was the missionary there, and they're the ones who said, we want to tell our story. We want to tell our story to other missionaries who might be thinking of going to the mission field because they wanted to be able to encourage them that, yes, please come, we need to hear this. You know, that miraculous story um, and Mark Zook's willingness to answer God's call to bring the gospel to the far corners of the world, it just so beautifully illustrates what Paul was describing in Romans 14 and 15. In order that all should be restored to life through confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, the messengers must be willing to go. We've all heard that the mission field is right on our very doorstep, and, and that's completely true. But the mission field is, you know, the mission field is wherever God is leading us, and it's whatever he's asking us to do, to partner with him in restoring and redeeming creation and hearts to him. But the truth remains that there are many people, many areas of the world that are still completely unreached by the good news of Jesus. The Joshua Project is an interdenominational research group that identifies and tracks unreached people groups. If you look, just the Joshua Project, the website will come up. And according to their website, uh, of the 7.8 billion people currently alive on earth, 3.2 billion have yet to hear the name of Jesus. So that's a little over 41% of all people still have just never heard this news in any way. The website also tracks how many of these unreached people, people live in areas where they describe what's called culturally adjacent Christians. So people who do know the good news and either live in close proximity or speak the same language as them and of the unreached people groups, the vast majority of them live in areas where there are no culturally adjacent Christians. In other words, it will require someone coming from the outside to bring the message. Nearly all of these live in India or Southeast Asia, uh, Northern Africa, and the Middle East. This means that there are millions of people billions of people, I'm sorry, on earth who are in need of a messenger like the missionary we saw who'd be willing to turn and to go. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Not only is there a great need for pioneer missionaries, doing first-time work is what we call pioneer missionaries. Not only is that need as strong today as ever was, but not all missionaries who serve do so in a pioneering method. Many who serve do so in a discipling and resourcing capacity. Because in many places, the indigenous church is the best church to send the missionary. This video was taking place in Papua New Guinea, and there are many tribes that know the Lord. And so Mark's continued work with the Mook people was to train and educate them, and now the Mook people are missionaries to other parts of Papua New Guinea. Of course, it's complex because there's tribal warfare and things, things like that, but um, God calls just as many to be prophets and evangelists 
as he calls to be teachers and shepherds and apostles. Melissa and I have a very personal connection with international missions as we have both lived and served overseas for many years. We both experienced moments in our lives when God was instilling in us a passion to serve him with our whole hearts. And even if that meant following him around the world as he led us. God's voice can sometimes be hard to discern. You know, sometimes it's quiet or still. Sometimes it's loud and commanding and very clear. But for both Melissa and I, in our hearts, we knew that God was asking, will you go and work for me wherever I send you? And as we began to date one another, it was, and as we began to plan our marriage and life together, it was with the understanding, the agreement, that if God called us, we would follow him anywhere. You get to see a few fun family photos, so let's put the first one up. <clears throat> Look at those kids. We were married in April of 1998, and just two months later, we found ourselves living and serving God in Sigishwara, Romania. Melissa had done a study abroad program in Romania, and so she was familiar with the work that was being done there, and it was being organized by a missionary and a professor named Dorothy Tarrant. For three months, we served and primarily worked among young people and orphans. We used English to build relationships with teenagers wanting to practice their language skills. We used art by teaching drawing classes, uh, this is a picture, I think, of the art club we did. We did an art club uh, each afternoon. We also brightened uh, the, the nurseries where many of the orphans spent 20, to 20 of the 24 hours a day in their cribs in just kind of drab conditions. So we painted Winnie the Pooh murals all over their nursery. <laughs> um, we used our ability to simply smile and to laugh and to pray with those whom God crossed our paths with. You know, in 1998, that was only about 10 years after the fall of Ceausescu, the communist leadership in Romania. And so, in post-communist Romania, often it seemed like the most effective thing that you could do was simply to just walk the town and pray that God would tear down the walls of spiritual and economic freedom that the Romanians find themselves in bondage under. You know, many years and three children later, God calls us, called us to Manila, Philippines, where we lived for five years. We participated in discipleship, teaching, and resourcing the work of God in, the South, in Asia Pacific. Isaiah was almost four years old and Ian was about a year and a half, almost two, and Eleanor was three months old as we prepared to parade through the airport with 10 suitcases. And, you know, Eleanor was in the front pack, as Ian was in the backpack, and Isaiah had, you know, one of those little backpacks you could attach the leash to, so that was our plan. <laughs> I'm sure we made quite the scene as we pushed our cart with the car seats and everything through the airport. You know, many questioned our sanity, 
our ability, our energy, even our wisdom. But for us, it was never a struggle. It, it wasn't hard because God made it so clear what we were to do. And we were on board for the adventure. You know, about eight months earlier, I had joined a short-term work and witness trip, much like we've organized here in the past and we'll be organizing again in the future. We were constructing a community center that would serve as a church, but also as a mission outpost for a, a, an area called Arenda. And as I was working one morning, shoveling rock from a huge pile, my shovel broke through the hot, dry surface, the crusty surface of the, of the mound, and inside was cool, damp rock. And I just thought, that, you know, that's interesting. And as I continued to shovel, I began to see the life of tiny little plants growing in the midst of this rock pile. And immediately my mind was called to Matthew, where Jesus was traveling through the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And in that moment, it was as if God was asking me, will you move here? And will you serve my church? You know, I had received a clear call, but Melissa was on the other side of the globe, you know, with a toddler and a baby, and she was four months pregnant. And would she hear the call? So I began emailing her and describing everything that God was doing in my heart and what God was doing in the work that we were a part of. And, um, you know, the first email was a little nerve-wracking, but Moses' response was simple, and it said, if God is opening the door and calling us, of course we're going to go. A few months later, after selling our house and our vehicles and most of our possessions, we were on our way. And while our story may not seem quite as dynamic as Mark Zooks and the MOOC people, we shared the love of Jesus to those in need. We trained and we discipled dozens of young Filipino Christians eager to serve God in dynamic ways of their own. You know, when a Western family moves into an Eastern country, the word gets out really fast. Almost from the very first night that we arrived in the Philippines, we had visitors, young and old, stopping by our gate to see the family with the blonde children. Many of our visitors became regulars to whom we could provide a cool drink of water or some food, a few coins, depending on their need. Uh, we met our gardener that way, and he worked for us for many years. Oftentimes, we'd pray together you know, always we would just smile and laugh and enjoy time together, simply seeing them with the eyes of Jesus. You see, marginalized people, both at home but also overseas, are rarely seen. Too often they're ignored by those who might have the ability to provide economic or emotional respite. Was it convenient? Was it easy? No, it usually wasn't. 
It often took reminding ourselves that the Holy Spirit is always working in blessing, even through the smallest of gestures. And so we loved as best we could. Christmas morning was one of the most busy mornings at our gate because it's Filipino tradition on Christmas that you go and visit all of your relatives in turn and that they would bless you by giving you a gift. How many did we have? We lost count. Hundreds of people would come to our gate. And it was such a blessing because that meant they considered us their relatives. We were able to, you know, we had a huge pile of snacks and gifts that we would give, and usually coin, because it represented prosperity. And, you know, it was just a way to love and to bless the Filipinos who came to, who God brought into our lives. My professional background is in graphic design and media production. And Manila is home to World Mission Communications Asia Pacific, which is a ministry to both Nazarene and interdenominational missionary work all throughout Asia Pacific. 2005, um, you know, here at home, cell phones were kind of already a thing, but in 2005, cellular technology was exploding around the world. Most people went from having nothing, no landline, no, no phone, to having a cell phone in their pocket with internet access. And so it was an exciting time to bring the gospel of Jesus to people in a really new way. I was tasked with helping to identify and to teach and to mentor Filipino artists and developers in creating digital media of all kinds that would present the name of Jesus. You know, it's so fulfilling to have God connect your vocation, your aptitudes with your passion, with the work that's not only impacting the kingdom, but also showing young Christians that vocation and ministry are one and the same. On a daily basis, myself and a team of Filipinos were developing websites, creating short films, producing events, recording Bible translations and new dialects, and creating art that was retelling the good news of Jesus. Our friends from Nila are still serving the church as missionaries and pastors and disciple makers all throughout Asia Pacific. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, cert- and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Our mission is clear. We are to hear and to believe, and then to participate in bringing the good news to others, discipling them, participating in their journey, and growing in faith as, and responding themselves to the call that God places on their lives. Our mission statement here at Emmaus Road says, present Christ as Savior, pursue Christ as King, and to partner Christ in service. This is our purpose. It's our way of living out that call. We have so many wonderful ministries and ways that we're doing that already. Denominationally, Emmaus Road is a part of the Church of the Nazarene, It was founded at the turn of the 20th century, and the Church of the Nazarene identified, you know, attempted to unify believers desiring to see God's message of love and hope and holiness to reach specifically the marginalized and the needy in our country and around the world. 
The first Nazarene missionary was supported by our church, was sent to Cape Verde in 1901, seven years before the official organization of the denomination. You know, one of the way, many ways that our congregation specifically lives into our purpose of partnering with Christ in service is to commit a portion of our financial resources to support global missions through the work of the Nazarene. We call this annual giving faith promise. So the Church of the Nazarene has a fund called the World Evangelism Fund, and this fund uh, collects the contributions from churches all, across, all around the world, and it supports education, it supports health, it supports media resources, it supports um, ministries that are happening around the world in the various regions. Those are things like compassionate ministries, so like, kind of like, um, you know, when a typhoon or a disaster strikes, the Nazarene Church has a group that will go in, along with the many other organizations, to bring relief and help. It goes to creating new churches, whether they're churches or home churches, house churches, organic church. And it does support missionaries. Faith Promise is a way for us to partner with God so that others may know of his love, his grace, and his mercy. Faith Promise giving is dedicated specifically to mission support within the Church of the Nazarene. In addition to supporting missions financially, the Church of the Nazarene is active in training and sending missionaries to all regions of the world. You know, for me, it's so important to remember that we're members of a global church, that most regions of the world continue to see people coming to life in Christ and being discipled in dramatic ways. Within the Church of the Nazarene specifically, over the last 10 years, Countries like Africa have experienced growth of over 140%. It's a pretty good 10-year track. Much of Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific has experienced around 25% growth. Europe, South America, Central America are all, all experiencing growth as people are coming to faith and being discipled and in turn are answering their own call to go and to serve. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. Church, may we continue to pray for missions and for missionaries. May we continue to give to missions. And when God calls you, May you boldly go wherever he leads you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the good news of Jesus that has touched our hearts. God, you called our name and we heard. It's a miracle, Lord, and God, as we live into that miracle, God, we ask that you would encourage us, inspire us to continue to pray for your mission both on our doorstep, in our daily lives, and our daily tasks, but Lord, also the overwhelming mission around the world to see the name of Jesus spoken by all lips, to see human hearts and, human crea and, and physical creation to be restored to your design, your original purpose. God, as you inspire us, may we 
pray for missions and missionaries. And may we continue to give to missions and may we boldly go as you call us. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Daniel, for allowing us to just hear your heart for missions and to uh, hear about your experience. That's been really great to hear. Uh, and it just brings missions closer to home, knowing that uh, one of our own, uh, two of our own, have been so involved and integrally uh, involved in missions around the world. Uh, we have an opportunity today to uh, make a pledge. So uh, inside of your bulletin, you'll find this uh, Faith Promise card. Uh, if you are wanting to and prepared and feel compelled to give today, you can do that. Mark your check with Faith Promise in the memo or fill that out in the uh, envelope. Uh, but mostly what we're focused on is Faith Promise pledges. So we uh, set a goal to give 5.5% of everything that comes in uh, toward missions. And we do that through Faith Promise Giving. Uh, so it's an annual goal of right around $10,000. Uh, to support the World Evangelism Fund through Faith Promise. So you can give, uh, kind of, you can pledge to give on a weekly basis, uh, on a monthly basis, or maybe it's just a one-time gift that you wanna give. So I encourage you to get out this card. I don't see any of you getting this card out. So I wanted, this is the time to get this card out uh, and begin filling it out because Daniel's gonna lead us in a communion liturgy. Uh, and then uh, the, after that, the ushers will come by and we'll receive uh, our regular giving as well as our faith promise pledges. Uh, so it, it's pretty simple. Indicate the amount if you're giving it monthly. Let's say you're giving $100 a month and then the total for the year would be $1,200. Maybe you're giving a one-time gift uh, of $500 or whatever you can do, uh, but we want to we kind of set a goal of giving uh, right around $10,000 toward uh, Faith Promise Giving, which supports the, the World Evangelism Fund. So uh, hopefully you'll take a moment to do that. If you're not ready to even make a pledge today, that's okay too. Take it home, think about it. Over the next two or three weeks, we'll be, be receiving pledges, and then throughout the year, anytime that you want to give to support Faith Promise, you can. Uh, also want to let you know that we, um, many of you know that this summer we were planning to go to Peru, uh, that we had to postpone that due to a number of issues, and so we're planning toward a mission trip for summer 2020. We do have an in-house fund called the Emmaus Missions. Um, and so these are not the same thing. So Faith Promise goes specifically to the World Evangelism Fund at 5.5%. If we exceed that goal, then we kind of use that for our own mission initiatives. Does that make sense? So 5.5% goes to the World Evangelism Fund. If we exceed that in Faith Promise Giving, we keep that as a rolling fund to, to support our own initiatives. The Emmaus Missions Fund is specifically in support of our mission trip that we're planning uh, toward next summer. And we encourage you to kind of be prayerfully considering both of these mission-oriented opportunities for giving. Okay, so um, I'm going to have Daniel come back up. He's going to lead us in a communion liturgy, and then after that, the ushers will come by. We'll receive God's tithe, our offering, and also our faith promise pledge cards. So hopefully that's all clear, but Daniel, come on back up. <laughs> 